Welcome to Beyond Politics. I am Paul Hodes with my co-host, Matt Robeson. We're on WKXLAM and FM. We're streamed live at nhtalkradio.com, and we are podcast wherever you find your podcast. So please subscribe under the banner of Beyond Politics, because we sometimes move beyond politics. But today, we're right in politics, because my dear friend and former colleague, Congressman Ed Perlmutter, is with us today. Ed Perlmutter uh, represents the uh, suburbs of beautiful Denver, Colorado, where uh, snow is on the ground while spring is trying to spring. Uh, he is a former Colorado state senator. Um, he is a dear friend of mine. We came into Congress together in 2007. We served together on the Financial Services Committee, where we worked hand in hand to develop um, energy efficient banking legislation, which was included in the big energy bill that passed the House and died in the Senate. But Ed taught me a lot about politics because I was kind of an accidental congressman, but he knew how politics really worked. Um, he is just a terrific, uh, a terrific guy, a terrific congressman. Ed, welcome to Beyond Politics. Thank you, Paul. And, you know, you were on the subject of energy efficiency and renewables in banking and real estate. You know, I, I want you to know that is still uh, moving. We've got something called the Green Neighborhood Act. A lot of what you and I worked on became part of the regulatory environment uh, under Bush and under Obama. Uh, those things that still need to be done to, to move our uh, construction industry, our real estate industry, banking, you know, to recognize climate change. We're working on that again uh, this year. So, you know, you brought it up. I want you to know we're, I'm still working on the Green Neighborhood Act, although a lot of what we've done is already in the law. Oh, that's really good to hear. You know, it's always nice to know that all the effort we put into it. I mean, we spend hours and hours and our staff spend hours and hours of staff time working on the legislation. And as so often happens in Congress, it sometimes takes a long time for something to get started and then work its way through the system. But it's really good to hear. I, I feel much better now that uh, some of it is is already come come to pass and that more is gonna more is on the way because it's really it the good news is that energy has energy policy and renewable energy has been elevated in the, uh, with the Biden administration recognizing the importance of climate change and getting to work as quickly as we can but let's turn to a, another banking a bit of policy and tell us about the safe banking bill. Uh, you've had a huge hand in that. What is it, what it's about, and why is it important to everyday Americans? Well, so the Safe Banking Act is a uh, bill that I've sponsored now since uh, 2013. Uh, we managed to pass it out of the House uh, to the Senate Banking Committee uh, last cycle, last session, where it just sat and gathered dust. What it involves is marijuana and banking. Under the law today, 
we have 47 states, including yours, New Hampshire, Maine, most all of the Northeast, that has some level of marijuana use, either fully legal uh, medical marijuana or CBD. But under federal law, under the Controlled Substance Act, marijuana, anything with THC, is illegal for all purposes. It's considered a Schedule One drug. And that really comes home to roost, this conflict in the banking sector. So we have marijuana businesses and, and those ancillary businesses that work with the marijuana industry just getting piles of cash. They can't have normal banking relationships. You can't have credit cards and deposit accounts and savings accounts and payroll accounts. And so these businesses just develop a ton of cash and that's a magnet for crime. In fact, just recently, a, a, a whole bunch of robberies in Oregon and a murder. We've had the same thing in Colorado across the country. We have people paying their taxes with suitcase fulls of cash. And so the Safe Banking Act provides a safe harbor for financial institutions, credit unions, banks, insurance companies that provide banking services to the marijuana industry and to ancillary lawyers, shop ed owners, accountants, and fertilizer companies. Anyway, it's, a, it's really a public safety uh, bill first, and then really designed to bring transparency to the industry second. So, uh, and does the Safe, Act, Safe Banking Act uh, do that even without uh, the rest of the administration or legislation that might affect the scheduling of cannabis? Uh, is the Safe Banking Act uh, a way to, to sort of uh, legitimize uh, financial transactions around cannabis without having to deal with all the issues around the scheduling of the drug itself? Yes. Now, the easiest thing to do is to deschedule it. That would resolve a lot of issues. But that, you know, nobody's been willing to take that on. The House, in the House of Representatives, we did, we passed the Safe Banking Act, big bipartisan vote. It was 321 votes total, of which it was like 100 and, or it was 91 Republicans and 200 and some uh, Democrats, 221 Democrats. And uh, so we, that bill passed with bipartisan. We also passed a much more comprehensive piece of cannabis legislation, uh, which would decriminalize uh, marijuana use and do a number of other things. Uh, that also went to the Senate much less bipartisan. Uh, both of them got stuck there. Now, the Banking Act would at least uh, deal with this public safety thing that, that has created these robberies, assaults, murders, uh, because of so much cash. Uh, if, and I think it's one that has the most bipartisan uh, support. And hopefully uh, we're gonna pass that very soon. It, I just introduced it again on Tuesday and by Friday, we had like 120 co-sponsors on it, Democrats and Republicans. Well, that's uh, great. We wanna get it out of the house to the Senate and get it to the White House. I think it has the best chance. You know, and I suppose that for, 
uh, let's just say those on the right or those concerned about dealing with the scheduling of the drug issue, the issue about whether or not marijuana ought to be classified with, uh, with really, with other, with dangerous substances and don't want to be seen as soft on, soft on drugs. Uh, the idea that without having to deal with that, that issue, they can, argue to their constituents, well, really this, by helping to dealing with the banking practices, what we're doing is we're dealing with uh, the issues that are fomenting criminal activity. Uh, we're, it's a public safety measure. Um, we, we'll let the states, uh, the states will still each be able to deal with their own marijuana policy the way they want to. So we're standing up for states' rights and, uh, and we can deal with this issue of cannabis as a dangerous drug some other time, as you all know. Oh, I'm really tough on drugs, and uh, uh, but I'm uh, but I'm strong on public safety. There you go. I've just uh, I've just given the platform to to all the right wingers who need a platform. Well, so I have two uh, Republican uh, co-sponsors who've been helping me uh, for the last few years on this. Uh, both are from Ohio. Steve Stivers, who I would describe as kind of a business Republican. And Warren Davidson, more of a, a, you know, Republican caucus member, libertarian type, but both of them kind of coming at it different angles uh, to support and really advocate for this bill. You know, my uh, primary co-sponsor last cycle was Denny Heck, who's now Lieutenant Governor in the state of Washington. This cycle, it's uh, one of uh, our colleagues, uh, you served with her, Nidia Velasquez uh, from New York. And then we have a bunch of other sponsors, but you encapsulated sort of the Republican approach uh, precisely. And, and uh, I think we'll get it done this time. I really have uh, confidence that Sherrod Brown over in the Senate, once we get it out of the house, I got to take care of moving this and getting it out of the house over to the Senate. I think Sherrod Brown and, and the Democratic majority, slim as it may be, we'll get this thing uh, passed through the Senate. That's great, great news. And you know, on another topic where you're sort of well-known in congressional circles as a leader and someone with some vision, you are on the committee that oversees US space policy. And you're, you're sort of well-known for having a little bit of vision around that issue. And it, this is a topic on which I personally have some, well, you're holding something up. Our, our viewers can't see it. This is exactly what I was going to ask you. Congressman, can you explain what you're holding up and why it's important? Why is space policy so important for America to focus on? So, um, you know, Paul knows uh, my experience as a lawyer was in the financial services industry. I practiced law, represented financial institutions, all those kinds of things. But my passion is science and particularly uh, space exploration. And I'm holding up a bumper sticker that says 2033. There's a picture of Mars uh, on the side and we can do this. So I serve on financial services and I serve on the science committee. Uh, a few years ago, you know, I, I was saying to myself, you know, we were to the moon 50 years ago. We should have been to Mars by now. What's going on here? And uh, the panel, our, our, space explore, our space subcommittee asked some folks, some executives from NASA, why not? 
And they said, well, we, if you give us some time and enough resources, we'll get there. And I said, well, what do you need? Oh, we need this much money and about 15 years. And I said, okay. So that's where 2033 came from. Plus, from an orbital mechanic standpoint, that's when the orbits of Earth and Mars are closest. And it saves months of space travel, um, takes away a lot of the danger from radiation and those kinds of things to our astronauts. So I have this special uh, project of getting our astronauts to Mars by 2033. But to your bigger question of why, why any of this? Well, first thing is I, I, Americans for sure, but people generally have an exploration gene. I mean, it's what's on the other side of that hill? What's on the other side of the river? What's on the other side of the moon? And the science that is required to undertake such a task um, creates all sorts of things that we might envision and a lot of things we don't. And so the science committee is always about looking out, looking further, you know, trying to do something new and uh, space exploration is part of that. I, uh, between the science and this exploratory gene that we all have uh, is something that I just have fallen in love with. And Paul, you'll get a kick out of this. Um, <clears throat> when I ran for the state Senate many, many years ago, my acceptance speech of the nomination from the Democratic Party was on space. I don't, don't even ask me why. It had nothing to do with the state Senate, but my, my acceptance speech had to deal with space exploration and about doing new things and trying new things and looking farther than just, you know, the next block. So anyway, I love the science committee. It is so fun. I'm going to do here a 30 second editorial. This is my ad for why your constituents should send Ed Perlmutter back to Congress again and again. Every single innovation that we take for granted in the world around us springs in one way or another from the federal R&D that we undertook mostly in the 60s as part of the moonshot program. It literally created the world we live in. Why do we have a vaccine? that we were able to deploy for the, for the COVID pandemic in six months. It's because of basic federal R&D that went into creating the platform that we built the vaccine on top of. So I, I, I just think it takes people with vision to go beyond politics, see what I did there, and think a little bit ahead of the curve to where are our kids going to be in 15 or 20 years? What kind of world are they going to live in? The investments that we make in space today will create the world that they live in tomorrow. That's it. I'm done. I will well, stop ranting in the presence of two members of Congress. Let me let me add to that. Weather please. forecasting. Let's talk about the weather. So it's snowing here. Last week, we had this giant blizzard. Got 30 inches at my house in 24 hours. And, you know, a few days in advance of that, a week in advance of that is 60, it's 70 degrees. And they said, we're gonna get a blizzard this weekend. And we're all going, no way are we gonna get a blizzard. It's too nice. And it came in with a punch. And, you know, it, that's the kind of stuff that comes from our interest in science, our interest in the space program. Those are the kinds of things that we take for granted every day. That vaccine is absolutely right. The science behind the vaccine and the, the way to develop it, um, 
we just got to keep doing it. And I think under the Biden administration, we are going to see a resurgence in support for the science community, basic research, as well as applied research. Just down the street from me, and this is what really got me into the renewable energy sphere, is the National Renewable Energy Lab, which deals with solar panels and wind and biofuels and fusion and all that stuff. So I get excited about this stuff. Paul, I'm going to give it back to you and shut up for a second. Well, no, no, that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm now in the, uh, in the solar business. I'm uh, working with energy efficiency and commercial solar installations and developing net zero buildings. I decided it was time to put my money where my mouth was and uh, go into business trying to uh, help New Hampshire solarize. But, you know, one more question on, on our space policy for you is well, there was just an announcement that uh, former Senator Bill Nelson has been appointed to head uh, NASA. And there is some, there's some concern being expressed that he's a little old school um, when it comes to space policy and he might not be as hip to uh, what's coming with SpaceX and private enterprise and the way that the public-private partnership uh, for space exploration is developing. What, what, are, you, what are you and the committee thinking about, about that appointment? Actually, I'm not concerned about that at all. I mean, there are um, sort of the uh, legacy space program and, and really to go to Mars to undertake a task like that, or really some respects going back to the moon, uh, is, is got to be led by NASA. And it will be a public-private partnership with the SpaceX and Blue Origin and some of those folks. And it will be international in scope. We will have international partners uh, when we go back, when we really get out there. But I don't think he's going to be uh, an impediment of any kind I, I, at all when it comes to low Earth orbit, the, the uh, space station uh, with, with Elon Musk wanting to develop his whole, you know, SpaceX and space team. I don't see uh, uh, Nelson getting in the way of that at all, but I do see him as a good leader for a massive undertaking like getting back to Mars. And, and to your listeners, I want to uh, make sure they know I don't consider this a zero sum game. There are several things going on in the space program. One is earth science, like looking back at the earth, looking back at our climate, dealing with those kinds of, of issues. And so we're not gonna be cutting back on earth science. There is planetary science, you know, from the sun to Pluto and dealing with planetary science. There is sort of the robotic piece of this thing. And then there's human, human space exploration. None of these are a zero sum game. We're gonna be getting the Jim, uh, James Webb telescope up there this year it will be unbelievable what we're going to be able to see into the universe. The Hubble has been like the greatest investment ever. It's, it's gone on a lot longer than we ever expected it to. The astronauts have been able to repair it from time to time when it needed some upkeep. Um, but James Webb will, uh, we expect to get it into orbit uh, this year. That's great. So I, I know we're probably uh, winding down. We have about three minutes left. We could talk for hours. Um, uh, and at some point, Ed, we will. But uh, 
Tia, let's talk just briefly as we close a little bit about the COVID relief package um, and and what you think is really important in it, what you want folks to know and understand about it, because uh, there has been some political controversy uh, without any Republican support, but the public so far, uh, I think, is going to be pretty happy about it. What's oh, your perspective? The, uh, you know, Joe Biden says there is bipartisan support, just doesn't happen to be you know, in the Congress of the United States, but the people love this. And it's, you know, let's just start with the vaccine development. So we are expecting some variations, some variants, some mutations, and there is continued uh, uh, support for refining the vaccines, for producing the vaccines, for distributing the vaccines. Second, there is a lot of support for small business again, particularly restaurants that got so hammered uh, this last year in this pandemic. I mean, the restaurant industry, the, the hospitality industry generally just crushed. And there is some support to really help them get back on their feet as we emerge from this pandemic. There is support for the housing industry, particularly uh, multifamily, where so many people have gotten behind on their rent. And so the, the purpose is to bring them current so that their landlords can pay their mortgage. The landlord can pay the landlord's mortgages. There is a lot of support for uh, state and local governments and all of the people that have been helping us for the last year, the firefighters, the police, the transportation workers, the healthcare workers, the teachers. And again, there's money for schools so that as they open, they do it safe, safely and in a healthful way. You know, it's been a great time on your show. I could go on for a week about the rescue plan. It is that important. It is that big. And it's going to do good things for America. Well, Ed Perlmutter, Congressman from Denver, Colorado, the Mile High City, uh, the, the place where Rocky Mountain High comes to life every day. Ed Perlmutter, my former colleague, one of my great friends in Congress, a, a guy who I've, who I've been just so proud to call my friend. Ed, you know, one of the things that, uh, that, that I love is your enthusiasm for doing good things for people, for finding the higher ground of the common good, and for innovation and smart thinking uh, was was one of the things that attracted me most to you when when we were colleagues together. Uh, it is something your constituents should cherish and treasure. And the country is really, really lucky to have you devoted to public service. We really appreciate your being with us today. Well, I, I love seeing you. I love being on your show. Thank you guys very much for having me. This is Beyond Politics. I am Paul Hodes. With my co-host, Matt Robeson, we've been talking to Congressman Ed Perlmutter. Uh, we will be podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Please subscribe. Look for Beyond Politics. We now have a website at beyondpoliticspodcast.com. Look us up. Find us on the web. And we'll be back in just a few moments. Don't go away. <laughs> <laughs>